Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 36, on page 73. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. 
On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come, so that they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Father, in a world that is uh, so often confusing and difficult, we would pray this morning that you would help us to be a people who trust in the Lord Jesus, who are utterly confident that he loves us and is with us on the journey and will provide for our every need. May we be people who declare great praise about your name, testifying that you are a loving, generous, kind God to the world around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, it had been a, a particularly busy, uh, stressful season, and so Lorna and I decided to uh, treat ourselves to a very nice holiday away in the sun. And uh, I can still remember that moment settling down into the plane seat uh, on the way uh, to our holiday, knowing that behind us was a whole load of hassle and stress and pressure and in front of us was a week of bliss by the pool and uh, it was a good moment just sitting there in the plane seat cherishing that sense of heading off on a on a lovely journey I can imagine there'd be some of us here today after Storm Desmond wishing we were getting off to a warm sunny uh, moment for a week and just imagine how the people of God 
would have felt in Exodus. We've seen this term that God has stepped in. His people were enslaved to a tyrant Pharaoh and doing harsh toil for generations. And then we've seen how remarkably God has stepped in and kept his promises and freed his people. And now he is bringing them to a wonderful future, a land full of milk and honey and rest. And we pick up the story this morning as the the people of God begin that journey away from slavery and heading towards a wonderful, brilliant future with a brilliant, loving God. And yet, as we turn to Exodus 16, what we find this morning is not joy and anticipation at being on this journey. No, we find instead there is grumbling Because as we start to follow this journey, and we do so, it really actually began back in chapter 14 and goes right through the end of 17, we discover that this journey away from slavery towards the promised land of rest, well, it's a hard journey. Back in 14, there was the threat of the Egyptians pursuing God's people. And then in 15, there was water, but it was bitter. And then next week, we'll see there was no water at all. And here this week in Exodus 16, well, there's no food And so I think the question that hangs over this whole section is this. Why does God make the journey so hard for his people? Uh, we, we know he loves them. We know he is a faithful, promise-keeping God. That's so very clear from Exodus. We've seen it again and again this term. So why doesn't this loving, faithful, powerful God just whisk his people out of slavery right into rest? He could do it just with a click of his fingers and it would be all over. But he doesn't. Well, this morning in Exodus 16, as we grapple with why this journey is so hard, I I think we get two profound answers from Exodus 16. And this morning, we need to get our heads around these two answers because we too are on a journey out of slavery to sin, heading towards the the promised land of the new creation. And that ancient journey back then mirrors our journey now. And the same Lord is at work doing the same things. We need to get our heads around why the Lord makes our journey at times hard as well. And so why does a loving, faithful God make the journey so hard? Well, first, I think Exodus 16 says, God wants to reveal our hearts. Uh, We pick up the story as the people leave the motorway services at at Elam, uh, verse 1, and they head out back on the road for the next leg in their journey. I I should say, by the way, that that Elam, uh, those services are are particularly good uh, services along the way. they're much better than your kind of little, uh, little chef that you might find uh, nowadays. Uh, we read back at the end of uh, chapter 15 that Elam was a place of uh, springs and palm trees. It was a place of refreshment and rest. Uh, a lovely place. But then back on the road, verse 2, well, that's when the grumbling begins. I guess it's not hard to see why. As far as we know, there may have been as many as a million people on this journey heading out from Elam on the dusty road. And of course in the desert, well, there's no food. 
You can imagine how quickly supplies would run out for a million people. And so when the people begin to talk about starving to death in verse 3, I suspect there was some foundation to their fears as they wondered where the next meal would come from. Look, I'm not very good without food. Every Wednesday we gather as a staff team to um, prepare for the Sunday sermon, to preacher's lunch, and it happens at 12.30. We're meant to bring our packed lunch and, and eat as we look at the Bible, but inevitably at 12.30 I come with nothing because I've eaten my lunch at around 10.45. <laughs> and so I understand how hard it is to go for what, three or four hours without food, but what about for days? You can imagine the people of God stumbling around in the desert, having eat, not eaten for, for a long time, and unable to see where their next meal would come from. There's nothing there in the desert. Well, it's, it's not easy. I should say it is okay to cry out to God in times of trouble. The Psalms are full of people who cry out to God in difficult times. But we need to see this morning that this grumbling in verse 2 is a very different kind of cry than you might find, for example, in the Psalms. You see, the people don't turn to God. They turn, rather, to Moses and Aaron. And they complain about God to Moses and Aaron. But actually, do you notice that as they cry out against the circumstances, they are, in fact, crying out against God. Look at verse 8. Just at the end, uh, Moses says to the people, you are not grumbling against us, that is Moses and Aaron, but against the Lord. And this should not have happened. You see, God had promised to bring his people safely to that final resting place of the new, well, the promised land, ultimately the, the new creation. And after all that the people had seen of how God was good at keeping his promise and he was strong enough to do so, they should have responded to this crisis with trust in God. But look at what happens. Verse 3. The people say, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It is remarkable how quickly the people of God doubt the faithfulness of God. And even more remarkable, if you notice, as they look back to Egypt and, and they, they picture what life was like under the tyranny of Pharaoh, they imagine those moments of eating uh, pots of meat. And the, 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 the implication, I think, is that they were saying, actually, life was, was better under Pharaoh. We, we had more to go on back then than life now under, under, the, under the Lord. What a remarkable thing for God's people to say life was better back in slavery. And yet here they are, grumbling against the Lord. So what is happening out here in the hot desert? I think God is revealing the hearts of his people. Uh, growing up, I used to love pretending to be a spy. Uh, I didn't have uh, the same budget as James Bond, so uh, we're talking more kind of white paper and lemon juice um, you know how the old thing works, you know, you get a piece of white paper and you get some lemon juice and you scribble down on the bit of paper a, a secret message. In my case, perhaps I'm grumbling about my sibling who's being very annoying at the time. But the brilliant thing is, once you finish writing and it dry, you couldn't see anything on the page. Top secret. And the only way to reveal what was hidden on the page was heat. 
maybe a light bulb or, or, or a hot oven, uh, not too hot, obviously. Um, and, and under heat, what was hidden is revealed. It comes to the surface. And that's what's happening, I think, here in Exodus 16 with the people's hearts. You see, it's very easy to say, oh, I trust in the Lord. He is good and faithful when we're in Elam and we're sitting under a, a cool, shady palm tree sipping spring water. But what about in the heat of the desert under pressure in a crisis? It's only then that we discover what our hearts are really like. Only under heat do we find out if we truly believe God's word and God's promises. And sadly, I've seen what can happen when the heat is turned up in people's lives. At people who looked like they had such strong faith in the Lord, who talked about how good God was to them. When the crisis comes and their world is shaken, that's when you find out what really is going on in their hidden hearts. And at times I've seen people who have perhaps lost their jobs or, or their health or their world is, is rocked somehow, they start saying, God is not loving. God does not care. God is not with me. Even I could find better help elsewhere. You see, in the heat and the dust of the desert, God wants to reveal our hearts. And as the story unfolds here in Exodus 16, I think it becomes clear that the particular heart issue that is being revealed is that the people lack trust in God's word. Look at what happens next uh, from verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. You see, God sets his people a test. This test is all about whether they will trust God's word, his instructions. Only gather enough bread for one day, except verse 5. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Very clear word from God about what the people are to do. Now, this is a very clever test from God. Because common sense in the desert says, if you see some food, you grab as much as you can handle. Bring it all back. You don't know when your your next meal is going to come from. You can imagine the common sense of these people's minds, hungry, tired, when they see bread and manna coming. You can imagine what the mind's saying, go for it. Get as much as you can. That's what the human mind says in this moment. But what does God's word say? Only collect enough for one day, except on the sixth day, collect double, and don't collect on the seventh. And so the test is very clear. Will the people trust their, their common sense, their education and uh, intuition, or will they trust the word of God about his promises and his provision. 
Now we need to see that this, this test is not so much for God's benefit as if God's trying to discover what's going on in his people's hearts because God knows their hearts already. He's heard them grumble before already back in Egypt. No, this test is primarily for the benefit of the people themselves so that they may understand what their hearts are like. Uh, you imagine a teacher with a class full of kids trying to get them ready for the final exam coming up. What do they do? They set a mock exam months before the final exam. And the mock exam is not there for the benefit of the teacher or for the examiners. It's there to help the students work out how far they've progressed learning the lessons they have to learn. And I think this test is like that mock exam. It is here to help God's people work out if they actually do believe God's word or if they don't, in practice, on the ground. Well, so too here in Exodus 16, we have a test to help God's people understand their hearts. And the results are, well, uh, they're mixed, I guess. On the plus side, verse 17, we're told that the Israelites did as they were told. They go out and gather the, the manna, And at the end of verse 17, each one gathered as much as he needed. So this is a kind of positive moment. God's people seem to have taken on board his word and taken just enough for that day. But then verse 20. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. Well, later on in verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. You see, some people seem to to get the test that God's word is trustworthy, they they obey it in practice, but others we read just seem to disregard God's word and they go for their intuition instead. And it makes you want to kind of groan, doesn't it? Don't go looking for man on the seventh day. You've just been told you won't find it, and yet there they are looking for it. And yet I wonder if we make the same mistakes about God's word. Look, one example. God's word tells us that we should give generously out of what he's given us. And that as we give generously, well, it will be good for us. We will be blessed as we do so. And yet when it comes to the question of how much should I give financially of my time, my energy to serve the Lord and serve the church family, so often we look around at our circumstances and we say, hmm, I'm not sure I've got enough of the bank account. I'm not sure if, humanly speaking, I'm going to cope on my own if I give more or I give anything. And you see how our common sense kicks in and we go, no, no, careful, we shouldn't give too much. And in that moment, we start to doubt that if we do give, it will be good for us. If we do give, God will look after us and care for us. Or we might think, um, I don't feel very secure in life. I want to put down my roots and feel established. I know God's word says that in Christ we have all we need, but but I'm just going to buy a bigger house in a better neighborhood and I hope then I'll find my security. And you see, in practice, it's so easy to become people who functionally deny God's word. We allow what we think to be common sense to override what God's word says about his provision and care for us. 
Now, of course, we have to be you know, uh, wise about our money resources. I'm not saying be reckless with how we, we live or, or how we spend our money. But I fear so often when we think about how we give generously, we're controlled much more by our common sense and intuition than about our belief in God's word. And do you see, if, if we rely on our common sense for the small things, if you like, the, the daily things, rather than on God's word, then when it comes to the really big things in life, the, the really big moments of crisis, well, then we can hardly expect to trust God then, can we? And I think that's the logic of Exodus 16. The people can't imagine God bringing them through to the promised land of the new creation. And yet we discover that in the small tests, day by day, they also struggle to believe God's word in the moment on the ground. And so God tests his people in order to reveal their hearts. And I hope we can see that this testing is a loving thing for God to do. It is a wretched thing to be a person who thinks that we are better off back in Egypt serving the old slave master of sin and oppression. It is a much more wonderful thing to be liberated from any sense of finding security there and discovering that actually the Lord is the one who can and should be trusted above anything else in this world. It is a loving thing to be tested like this. God wants to reveal our hearts on the dusty, hot road. But second, much more quickly... God wants to change our hearts. I've never run a marathon, and um, I suspect I never will. Uh, But um, I'm told the best way to prepare for a marathon is to uh, embark on a series of regular training regimes. You know, uh, you don't kind of just try to run 26 miles in, in one go from scratch. You start off small. Maybe uh, every couple of days you run a few miles and then you gradually build it up uh, week by week, month by month. And if you put in the the careful training, then after months, perhaps a year, you can run incredible distances. You could never have run before without the training. But uh, it all begins with the small steps, the, the, the mile, the two miles early on. As I said, this is all kind of secondhand information that I've been told by others, but I gather it's true. But you know, I think our hearts work the same way. How do we become people who have tremendous, strong belief in God's word and promises? How, how can we be people who, in all the stresses and strains of life, remain convinced that God is good and his word is to be followed? It doesn't happen overnight. We don't wake up suddenly kind of giants full of spiritual strength. No, I think it happens in the daily Moments, the small steps, as, as the Lord, I think, trains us. And uh, you can imagine the Israelites waking up each morning. Uh, their tummies are rumbling. They're hungry. And they're wondering, what will I find when I open the flap of the tent? Will there be anything? Or will it be a, a quiet, hungry day? But as they open the tent flap, once again, They see on the desert floor, verse 14, spread across the desert, they see the manna. And they realize that yet again, on this new day, God has been faithful to his word. And notice God didn't provide gruel for his people 
out in the desert. No, he provided honey wafers. In the days before refined sugar, the only way to sweeten your food was, I guess, dried fruit, or if you could find it, honey. Honey was the, the pinnacle of, of sweetness. It was the, the best food imaginable. It was the, the crispy creams of the ancient world, these honey wafers. And so what is happening here in Exodus 16 is I think God is putting his people into a spiritual version of the gym. And do you notice it happens every day, day by day, day by day, moment by moment. How much will I collect? Will I keep it? Will I go out on the next day? Learning day by day that when God speaks a word, he is faithful to keep it. And I imagine that as these people, day in, day out for 40 years, went through this daily process, God's intention was that their hearts would be changed that they would become people who could actually trust God's word and practice. And this daily pattern of of casting ourselves onto God is a pattern for God's people for all time. This is how God teaches every Christian how to grow up spiritually and become strong in the Lord. Remember how Jesus taught his followers to pray? Matthew 6, 11. Give us today our daily bread said Jesus. It is no accident, I think, that in Matthew 6, that that prayer comes in a chapter dealing with all kinds of issues about worry and safety and money and possessions. And in that context, Jesus says, go to the Lord and ask him for your daily provisions of bread. And I imagine that this daily habit of bringing our lives and our needs before the Lord is how the Lord wants us to grow up spiritually and to allow our hearts to be changed. As we like, if we put God to the test, saying, God, I need this, please look after me and carry me. And then at the end of the day, we look back and see how he has kept us and carried us in the way that he seems best. God wants to change our hearts. My fear for us at Forward, and I completely include myself in this, my fear for us at Forward is that we have found ways to provide for ourselves that have bypassed God. In our desire for security, we bypass God and beef up our bank accounts instead. In our desires for daily provisions, we bypass daily prayer and simply go to co-op instead. If our desire is to feel loved by God, we bypass his word and simply look around at our circumstances instead. And all of this, we bypass God. We bypass the daily thrill and joy of seeing how the Lord provides for his people when we ask him to provide. And we bypass the opportunity for our hearts to change and for our confidence in God's goodness to be built up and strengthened as we go through this daily rhythm of coming to the Lord desperate, asking for his help. And then seeing him come through for us. I do wonder this morning if that is what's happened to us as Christians. Do you know, standing here, I can't tell looking out if that's what's happening in your hearts. 
Uh, I haven't got that kind of x-ray vision. Only you will truly know whether you've stopped coming to the Lord in, in those quiet moments in prayer, coming to his word for feeding, bringing those daily requirements before the Lord, asking for his forgiveness, praying that his will be done in your life, asking for our daily breads. You will know that. But when the crisis comes and the storms come, and they will, that's when you will also discover if you've been putting in the daily quiet habits of strengthening your faith. Well, as we move to a close, uh, some of us might be thinking, okay, I can see the principle of Exodus 16. We can see how how God's people uh, struggle to believe and then here God is helping them to grow in their belief through daily uh, reinforcement. I I, I get the the pattern, but but here's the problem. The the guys in Exodus 16, they, they had the manna. They had the privilege of opening their tent flaps each morning and seeing a very tangible reminder of God's faithfulness. And we don't have the manna. So how can we grow spiritually? Well, look at how the story finishes. It finishes perhaps on a slightly unusual note, but we need to see what's going on here. Well, look at verse 32. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the, the generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. You see, they, uh, this, this provision of manna only lasted one generation for, for, for 40 years. And that generation, well, it, it passed away. And in fact, Exodus 16 is written for the generations who are to come. I think that's why in verse 36 we're told uh, how big an omer is. Um, I still don't know how big it is, but um, there we are. Um, <laughs> because the guys reading this years later wouldn't have known those kind of details. It's written for later people who didn't have the manna day in, day out. Now, initially this meant that they should look to a jar of manna kept with the ark. And as they looked, they're meant to remember that God kept his word day by day, year in, year out for 40 years. And blessed and cared for his people. And they're meant to go, I can believe in that God too. Because I look at the manna and I see that he has been faithful. But you know, we have something far more wonderful to gaze at than manna in a jar. Remember those famous words in John 6. After Jesus had fed a crowd of people in a desert who were hungry, he gave them bread. And then he said these extraordinary words, John 6, 35. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. How do we know if God's word is trustworthy? If we can put the weight of our whole lives onto him and let him provide for us, Well, the ultimate demonstration of God's ongoing faithfulness and provision is not found in the manna or even looking at a jar of manna. It is found in looking at the Son, who is the bread from heaven. He is the ultimate demonstration of how God keeps his promises to his people and will provide for his people all their needs. We live in a much better moment in history than the people of Exodus 16. For they saw just honey wafers. We see the Lord Jesus. The once for all declaration that the Lord is trustworthy. And of course as we come in just a moment to share that precious meal of bread and wine. The Lord's Supper. 
we remember exactly how Jesus has cared for his people and fulfilled God's promises as he died on the cross, giving his body as the bread broken for us to feed us, to nourish us, to keep us until we get to the promised land. The journey, might no, the journey will be hard at times for God's people. Please understand that from Exodus 16. And the Lord is working on our hearts as we go through the journey. But this morning, as we eat bread and drink wine, please also remember that we journey with a loving, powerful, promise-keeping God. And one day there will be a banquet where the wine overflows when we get to the new creation. And there we'll be able to see the Lord face to face and rejoice at the end of our journey. Just a moment of silence and then Peter will come and lead us in our prayer.